Welcome to the Upper Room Podcast. Thank you so much for stopping by. I'm Pastor Carl McLaughlin from Calvary Pentecostal Church in Euless, Texas. We're located in Dallas-Fort Worth, where 8 million call DFW home. Whether you're tuning in to Sunday or Wednesday's message, we pray that you will find words of encouragement. It is our mission to provide a positive and encouraging voice in the midst of uncertainty. I pray that you will be blessed by today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Upper Room Podcast. We are so happy you're here. This Wednesday, we heard from Pastor Carl McLaughlin as he preached the message, The Seed and the Soil. You have the power to choose your harvest based on your environment. What is your current environment? Should it be changed? This episode dives deep into the topic and leads the listeners to the altar. We hope you are encouraged. I want to read from the word of the Lord, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 through 10. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them of the household of faith. So I want you to take a look at that. The scripture says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. This is what we would call the law of harvest. For he that sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap. We're going to reap. It's going to happen. Whatever we put in the ground is coming up. If we faint not. And as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. I'm not probably won't, I know I won't teach on that verse 10, but just real quick, there are certain people who have the gift of giving. There's, there's giving and then people that have the gift of giving according to Romans chapter 12. And, and oftentimes there will be people in this church that will walk up to me and hand me money and say, Pastor, God laid it on my heart to give this to somebody in our church. They're fulfilling that verse right there. As we have, therefore, opportunity, let us do good to everybody, but especially those of the household of faith. When we know that someone in the church has a need, it is our responsibility to, if we have the means to help them, make sure that we recognize the household of faith and do whatever we can to help them and provide for them in whatever way God has blessed us so that we can be a blessing. I want to speak to you tonight from this subject, the seed and the soil. The seed and the soil. Can we pray together before you're seated? Mighty God of heaven, we come to you tonight knowing, Lord, that you are an all-wise God. And I know, Lord, that you have placed seed in our hands. And I pray that we would be discerning and very selective in what soil we plant. I ask you, God of heaven, to lead us and guide us and direct us tonight. Help us to avoid at all costs sowing to this flesh 
that will ultimately bring corruption and eternal damnation. I pray that you would discipline us and chasten us in such a way that you would teach us how to sow to the Spirit so that we can reap life everlasting. The seed and the soil, Lord, teach us about these things tonight. And everyone said in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. I have a question. Let's start off with a question. Can you tell me, as you're looking at that, which one is wheat and which one is tear or a tear? Which one's wheat? Oh, somebody said left. Somebody else said right. Which one's the wheat? Are you sure? Why is it the left? Where's the tear? You know, that, that's the person that wants to stay in the middle until you tell the end. Yeah, that's what I said. Yes, yes, it's on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, what's so funny, man, is people get emphatic and they sometimes are emphatically wrong. <laughs> Couple more questions. Why do some seeds germinate and flourish into absolutely beautiful plants? while other seeds never produce. Why do some people flourish as Christians and grow into godly, holy, productive people who live in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, while others could be even in the same family or same church. Produce a life of thorns and thistles. The answer is it's about the seed and the soil. There's good seed and there's bad seed. There's good soil and then there's bad soil. Any person, anywhere, at any time can have ongoing peace and righteousness or ongoing evil and confusion according to the seed and the soil. You have the power to choose your environment and your harvest. You don't have to plant in sea or soil of the flesh and reap corruption. In fact, if you want to change your future, change the seed and change the soil. You predetermine your harvest by the seed you're putting in the ground. Not only do you predetermine the harvest, you predetermine how much or how little is going to come back to you by virtue of how you plant the seed. Paul said in Corinthians, if you plant sparingly, you're also going to reap sparingly. But if you plant bountifully, you're also going to reap bountifully. So you literally predetermine what your harvest is going to be next year. If you sow to this flesh and you pray for a, a harvest failure or a crop failure,
failure. It's not going to happen. You already put it in the ground. You just have to hold on and be patient and let that harvest come. Deal with the pain of what you did in the flesh. But then you take the seed of the spirit and you begin to, to plant it in the spirit life. You begin to plant it in commitment. You plant it in obedience. You plant it in submission to the authority of God's word. You make up your mind what kind of environment you're going to have in your home by what kind of seed you're planting in your home. You make up your mind if you're going to have joy in that home or depression in that home by what kind of seed you're planting in your soil. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know how you feel, but I want victory in my house. There's some things that don't come out of my mouth in my house because I don't want to plant seeds and have a tree in the middle of my living room that I want to have to walk around. I don't want my kids having to walk around a tree that's evil because I planted that seed in them. Seeds of influence. When a seed becomes a plant or a tree, it influences every other tree in the field. In fact, I had someone <clears throat> come to my house today looking at some of my trees to, to get some tree work done. And I wanted an estimate. And, and he was walking through my yard and he looked at a, a Bradford pear tree. And he said, hey, do you want me to cut that, that Bradford pear tree down? And he said, look at it. And I was like, no, nah, he's just wanting more money. And uh, I'm like, no, in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't want to cut the Bradford pear tree down. It's been there since I've owned the house. And he said, well, if we cut it down, then there's going to be more sunlight that's going to hit that oak tree right next to it. And the oaks, he said, the oaks could grow more productively. His question to me, while perhaps motivated by money, perhaps not, I don't know. I get a little bit suspicious on stuff like that. And, uh, and so I'm listening probably with a lot of bias and critique as he's talking. And, uh, and obviously I'm going to hit him a little bit lower. Whatever price he throws out there, we're going down. If we can't go down, we're not doing the deal. And, uh, and so, you know, we're playing the game in the backyard. But I thought about it today when I was, when I was preparing. And his question was a question about influence. If you remove the influence of the Bradford pear tree, you're going to see major positive change in the oak tree. If that's true, if it is true, in the sense of tree life, is it also true among our teenagers? If you remove the Bradford pear tree out of the field of your life and the field of your thinking, can you grow more productively? Are there people in your life influencing you to a negative, sinful way that's stunting your growth? There may be some people you need to cut out of your life. There may be some sinful influences that you need to cut out of your life. Oh, but pastor, he's so handsome. Oh, he's got charming blue eyes and he's got a dimple and he's so cute. Who cares? You might need to cut that Bradford tree right out of your life so that you can have deeper roots, so that another oak tree can come into your life. Can I get some help in this house? Mom and dad, there may be some things we need to cut out of the backyard. There may be some spirits we need to cut out of the house. There may be some things that were planted in your yard and you, yard, you just bought the house and it came with the house. You might need to get rid of some of those things that came with the house. 
about the seed and the soil. It's about seeds of influence. Positive influence, negative influence. James talks about this in James chapter 3, verse 14 through 18. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, don't boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy, this is a seed, just understand that if you have seeds of envy, seeds of selfish ambition, it, they're earthly, sensual, and demonic seeds. You cannot plant envy and get joy. You cannot plant bitterness and get unity and love and acceptance. You gotta plant good seed if you want a good harvest. You can't get the wisdom from hell and have heaven in your home. I wish somebody would help me in this place. You gotta make up your mind if you want peace, if you want purity, if you want righteousness, you can't go to the devil for your wisdom. You can't consult with demonic spirits and seducing spirits and come out right and come out okay. That's why some people backslide in a church and that's why other people flourish in a church. They have both have wisdom, but some people have hellish wisdom while other people have heavenly wisdom. Can we clap our hands and give God praise right now? It's about the seed and the soil. He said, but the wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle. The King James Version says easy to be entreated. The New King James Version says willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace. There's, there's the agricultural term. Sown in peace. That's the seed. It's sown in peace by those who do what? Make peace. Did you get that? That means they go into a field where there is no peace. And by planting certain seeds of righteousness, they're able to make peace. You don't... If you don't like the environment you're in, you don't jump in the field and go, there's no peace here, I'm out. You know what you do? You get a seed in your hand. You get a seed of righteousness and say, if I can put enough of these seeds here. Oh, you're warring and you're divided and you're envious and you're driven selfishly? Well, you know what? I'm not going to adapt to that. I'm going to plant seeds of unity. I'm going to plant seeds of righteousness. I'm, and if we can put enough of that seed in the ground, I pray for Calvary culture. I pray for this church culture so that when people come to Pentecost Sunday and brand new visitors come into this house, they don't see self-seeking individuals. They don't see divided people. They see they come into a field of righteousness and peace by those who make peace. When you learn to make peace, you fight against division because you know what it took to get the peace. Like the seed in the soil. They that sow to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, 
Corruption comes because the soil refuses good seed. Lord, have mercy. How many times? How many times have we been out the ranch? We got to get that seed in the ground. We got to get that seed in the ground. Get it, get it in the ground before the rain comes. Get it in the ground before deer season comes. We got, we need a good plot of grass, and you get out there and you put that seed on top of the ground. If you don't get any rain, it's not going to happen. That seed just just rests and, and lays right on top of that ground. And it's just simply because the soil hadn't received the seed because there's no rain. Corruption comes because soil refuses good seed. There's some soil that just loves bad seed. It's like the bad seed finds them. Don't get so quiet. Is it already starting to cut deep? Man, it, I'm telling you, I was praying before church tonight, and I said, I was weeping. I said, God, thank you for cutting me so deeply. And I'm, then I went, uh-oh, if you cut me that deep when I start teaching, it's probably going to cut. Don't get, okay, relax. Breathe. Breathe ten times. No, if you start hyperventilating and pass out, don't do that either. Corruption refuses good seed. It's that, it's that, Bad soil. It's that thorny soil that the cares of the world choke out the seed. It's the stony soil that allows the plant to come up, but because of stones of resistance that are under the ground, you can't even see them. You understand that we have certain issues inside of us that people don't see. And then we all ask the question why aren't they growing? Could it be because there's stony ground? Could it be because there are things inside of us that when God's seed comes in, there's a spirit of resistance that pushes it out because that means change and we don't want to change. We want the peace without changing and asking for forgiveness and reconciling and making things work so we can have the field of peace. And so the seed comes in, and all of a sudden, man, you get a little bit of hope. It's like, oh, man, we had a great conversation. Boom, here it comes. And all of a sudden, man, here comes the weed eater. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Don't do that. Don't, not, not that one, not that one. We worked hard just to get that little blade to come up. Don't cut that one down. And all of a sudden, you go out the next day, and it's gone. What happened? There's some stones underneath that soil. There's some stones inside of that heart. There's stones of anger inside of that heart. There's stones of unforgiveness inside of that heart. There's stones of bitterness inside of that heart. There's stones of jealousy inside of that heart. There's stones of envy inside of that heart. There's stones of selfish ambition. The, the, the definition there means electioneering. It meant somebody who walked around the room slapping backs. They were politically driven. Can I speak to those in this church who are licensed ministers and you're serving in a section or serving in a district? Be careful that you don't get intoxicated with power. Be careful that you don't allow a seed of power to get inside of you and you all of a sudden become an electioneer man. All of a sudden you start slapping backs because you want a position. you got a sectional, but you want a district position position. Let me just say something. That little tree, that little weed comes and goes uh, and then nobody remembers who we are and time moves on. Don't lose your soul over something like that. Don't get bitter over something like that. If that's in your spirit, you don't need a position. If that's working in you and you, you name drop, 
You like certain people on Facebook and not like certain people on Facebook because you think people in power are watching. And if you like the right thing but dislike the, the right thing, then they see that and then all of a sudden they ask you to do something. Get that seed out of your spirit. I'm telling you, you'll get disillusioned, you'll get bitter, you'll lose out with God, you'll lose out with the church, you'll lose out with leadership, you'll lose out with mankind. You gotta plant righteous seed in the righteous soil. Can we clap our hands and give God praise here? It's about the seed and the soil of your life. So the stony ground, stony ground resists, fights the roots, corruption appears. This is an eternally important concept to understand. And it's also important to know and understand that you have options. You have options. You can sow seed on good soil. And when you sow seed on good soil, you are going to reap a harvest. Some 30, some 60, and some 100-fold. Now, right now, you look around and you see people's lives just bursting with the blessings of God and bursting with the, with the handiwork of God. And you say, what in the world? I'll tell you what's going on. They're living the law of harvest. They know where to plant. They know what seed to take, and they know the field to plant it in. And all of a sudden, after a season of time, may not be tomorrow, but it might be this time next year, 30 comes up, 60 comes up, 100-fold comes up. And you know what they do? Ah, let's sort and just keep it for ourselves. No, they don't. They understand the law of harvest. And they say, God gave me that so I can take it and go to the household of brethren and put it in their spirit and help somebody of the household of faith. And you know what happens next year? That 30-fold becomes 60-fold because they took a seed and they put it in the right soil. I'm telling you, you've got options. You want to sow to the flesh? Go party and have a good time. You're going to reap corruption. But if you want the blessing of God, if you want eternal blessing with God, sow to the Spirit, and you shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. I'm going to plant righteous seed. I know what harvest I want, and I'm going to put that in my marriage. I'm going to put it in my kids. I'm going to put it in my granddaughter. I'm going to plant as much as I can in this church. Got the seed in the soil. This is where tilling and plowing are needed. So I, I did some um, scholarly, peer-reviewed research today. I went to Google. And I found on Google... Seven ways to improve garden soil. Add compost, get a soil test, mulch the soil surface, prevent soil compaction, rotate crops each year. Number six, grow cover crops. Number seven, add aged animal manure. This is what it says. Add compost. Well, what in the world is compost? Y'all know what compost is? You know what that is? What is it? What is it? Huh? Wow, that's sorry. Stuff. Yeah, like that, you know. 
stuff? What stuff? What is that? Okay, cool, yeah. Mm -hmm. No, for real. Yeah. No, you're right. Grass clippings. Watermelon rind. Trash. Old scraps of food. Put that out there in the pile. Turns into compost. Here's what, it, here's what they said. You know what else it does? Compost also feeds earthworms and other microbial life in the soil. The worms will tunnel through the soil to improve aeration and drainage while leaving behind their castings to increase soil fertility. Do you know that when God created worms, he knew what he was doing? I mean, did you know that when God said, let there be a worm, now, I don't know if it happened just like that. But when God created worms, he created them with purpose. Torment Blake McLaughlin. To this day, that boy, as big as he is, will not put a worm on the hook. <laughs> Growing up, fishing at the ranch, we'd fi be fishing in the twin tanks, and he'd say, Jenna, bait my hook. <laughs> and Jenna would have to put the worm on his hook. When God made a worm, he said, go torment Blake. <laughs> Do you understand that? Out of that compost, that it, it literally feeds the worms, and all of a sudden, man, those worms start doing their ministry. They start going through and, and creating little tunnels so that when water comes in, do you know that when God puts worms in your life, he knows what he's doing? Some of you are wondering why you're dealing with certain issues in your life. And it's because there's no other way that you can receive something coming from heaven because your heart is so hard. And God says, I need a worm to come into your life. If he put a worm in the gourd in the book of Jonah and that worm took care of business so that it could redirect him toward better things in the ministry, God knows what he's doing when he gives you some spiritual compost. God knows what he's doing when he lets some worms start working inside that stony ground. God knows what he's doing when he sends a worm into that thorny ground. God knows what he's doing when he puts a seed in your life. And he said, I put a seed in your life, but you got some bad soil. And I need some worms in your life so the worms will start doing their work in your world. So that when I bring you to church and the Holy Ghost falls, before you resisted it, but now you get revelation. Because God lets issues worm their way through your life. And it makes you think like you've never had to think before. How am I going to deal with these worms? I mean, who makes a sermon out of worms? Get a soil test. All right, let's pause. We do this every service. Prevent soil compaction. Just want to elaborate on this one. Here's what, here's what the scholar said on Google. Soil that is hard and compacted will not allow water and nutrients to soak in and the soil becomes barren and dry. Tiny plant roots cannot spread out in search of moisture nutrients. So plants dehydrate and starve. Nothing new grows, and what has been there dies.
because of hardened soil. They said if you want to get good soil, prevent your soil from compacting. Can I read it again in a spiritual or church sense? Hearts that are hard and compacted will not allow the spirit and the word to bring nutrients to soak in and the heart becomes barren and dry. Tiny plant roots cannot spread out in search of moisture and nutrients, so the saints of God dehydrate and starve. Nothing new grows, and what has been there dies because of a hardened heart. And so God says, I need to take you through a season of tilling and plowing because there's too much potential in your soil. I don't want you drying up, starving, dehydrated. Ladies and gentlemen, it does not have anything to do with this book. And it does not have anything to do with the church. It has everything to do with what kind of heart we have. We need a heart that is not hard. That when the word of God goes forth, it can find a lodging place and take root. And all of a sudden, fruit is produced because we've allowed God to break us up. We've allowed God to take our heart. I'm just telling you, we've got we've to bring some mulch in. I could stay on that, but let me move on. The third day of creation established the law of harvest. God, in this third day of creation, on the third day of creation, God made sure good things could come out of dry places and dry times. I want to ask you a question. Be honest. Let me ask you a question. Anybody going through a dry season right now? Honest. So here's the deal. Don't be afraid. All of us go through these seasons. There are dry seasons, and then there are seasons where we are running bountifully with the blessings of God. Anybody enduring a dry season, if you are, you need to know that in the template and the fabric of creation, God himself, God himself designed in this template for even dry days, good things can come out of dry times. I'll read the Bible to you. Genesis chapter 1, verse 9 through 13. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass. Where is the grass coming from? The dry place. Where, is the, where did he put that grass? On dry land. The herb that yields seed. He didn't just put one blade of grass there and say, after this blade of grass is gone and you go through a season, it's gone. He put seed in there to yield a harvest next year. That's why you've got to mow the yard during this time of the year two, two times a week. That's what, because why? Because God back in creation on day three put a seed in there and said, I want you coming up. As, as much as they mow you down, come back up again. As much as you get knocked down, come back up again. And if God put that in the fabric of creation so that when he brought forth Adam and Eve and he said, I want you to look at that grass, it got cut down, but it came back up again. 
He came out of dry places. He said, you're going to go through some dry places. You're going to get cut. You're going to get stepped on. You're going to get mowed, but you're going to come back up again. I'm just telling you there's power in the seed. And there's power in the soil of a saint of God. The devil's not going to defeat you. Hell's not going to take you out. You may get cut. You may get walked on. You may get spit on. But God put seed in you. And even in the dry season. You say, do you really believe that? Let me tell you one of the, uh, not, not only but for creation purpose. But the scripture said, the prophecy in Isaiah 53 said Jesus Christ would be a plant, a tender plant that comes out of what? Dry ground. Dry ground. Jesus in his humanity was a tender plant that came out of a dry ground. What he's saying is nothing is going to stop my advancement. Nothing, a dry land is not going to stop me from being productive. So when we are baptized in the name of Jesus, and we have the Holy Ghost, which is Christ in us, the hope of glory, put us in a dry place. But from creation to the manifestation of God in flesh, we come up and out of a dry place. God knows how to bring water when you need water. He knows how to create on day three so that you're ready to move into day four. Some of you are going through day three right now and you need to come up in your dry place so that you can produce what you're supposed to produce in day four. It was a prerequisite. You had to get all of day three if you were going to get the blessing of day four. Come on, ladies and gentlemen, you got to make up your mind if you're in day three and you're facing a dry season and you're going through the trial of your life. God put something in his ecosystem. God put water in his ecosystem that says, I think they need a touch from me right now. And sometimes he sends it directly. Other times he sends a sister wiser to pray for a sister Jinx. And sister Jinx gets healed and doesn't have any more problems in her feet because God said, I need to put some water in her dry season. And God sent saints of God to help the fellowship of one another. It's about the seed and the soil, church. Let's plant seeds of righteousness in one another. God saw that it was good for the evening and the morning was the third day. Jesus used seeds in the soil to teach us about his kingdom and our eternal future. I read to you from Matthew 13, verse 24, another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. Seed in the soil. But while men slept, that's where we need the phone going off, right there. If you're falling asleep, you better hope somebody's phone goes off in church. If you're falling asleep spiritually, you better pray to God that the tornado alarms go off in the city. If you're falling asleep, you better pray to God somehow he shakes your world up and causes you to wake up and realize the longer you sleep, the enemy's coming into your life and he's going to sow a seed and a tear is going to come up in your field. 
You can't go to sleep, Dad. You cannot go to sleep, Father. You cannot go to sleep spiritually, Mama, Daddy. The enemy's gonna walk into the bedroom of that child and sow a seed inside of them that you're gonna have to deal with. Don't go to sleep right now, Daddy. Don't go to sleep right now, Mama. Don't go to sleep right now, Grandmama, Granddaddy. It takes a family, it takes a village to do this together. We need to make up our minds. God is gonna sow seed. Good seed. Listen, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and they said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. these teenagers among wheat be a tear? How could one person in this church backslide? How can a tear be on a pew right now? But we were all wheat. How does that happen? You fall asleep? moment those eyes go down, the enemy steps in, sits down right next to you and starts sowing seeds. Church is boring. Too many rules in church. Too many standards in church. Man, what are you doing? Where are those voices coming from? I'll tell you where those voices are coming from. The enemy's doing this. The enemy's doing this. But when you have good soil, that good soil resists that evil seed and said, devil, you have no place in this mind. Devil, you have no place in this heart. I made up my mind when I got in the church, I'm going to heaven and I refuse to be lost. I refuse to be lost. Come on, we don't need you to become a tear. We don't need tares in the church. I understand that they're gonna be there by virtue of the word of God, but you need to make up your mind, your good soil, God put good seed inside of you and you're going to be a wheat that makes it to the harvest of eternal glory in heaven. He said, he said, the servant said to him, well, then do you, I know the enemy did this, but do you want us to go and gather them up? He said, no, no, I don't want you to do that because while you're gathering up the tares, you're also going to uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest, the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first, gather together the tares, bind them into bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. This is the deal. We don't know really who we, the wheat and the tares. And we won't know until rapture. But he said the reapers are going to come and take the tear that looked like wheat. Okay, let's go back to the picture. Which one's the tear and which one's the wheat? 
You see what I'm saying? Listen. He said, while men slept, the enemy did this. Well, no. They look so much alike, it's hard to distinguish. I really don't know which is the wheat and which is the tares. How did that happen? He said, when men fell asleep, the enemy has done this. Can I say to Calvary Pentecostal Church, the enemy is looking for a sleeping church that he can walk into and sow some tares among the wheat. You've got to get the enemy out of your field. You've got to get the enemy out of your field. He's looking for families to walk into. He's looking for men to walk into. He's looking for women to walk into. He's looking for young adults to walk into. He's looking for singles to walk into. He's looking for teenagers to walk into. He's looking for our children's ministry to walk into the children's ministry. And he wants to know, is the children's leader asleep? Is the singles leader asleep? Are the singles asleep? Are the young people asleep? And the devil walks in and says, oh God, I'm glad I walked into a sleepy church. I'm glad I walked into a church that doesn't really know how to pray. Come on, Calvary, you got to make up your mind to get the enemy out of your field. You've got to make up your mind. I'm not falling asleep in the midnight hour. I'm not falling asleep. It's almost rapture time. He wants you to fall asleep doctrinally. He wants you to fall asleep spiritually. He wants you to fall asleep theologically. He wants you to fall asleep in your worship. He wants you to fall asleep in the truth. He wants you to fall asleep so you'll buy into deception. You've got to make up your mind. I'm not going to sleep. And when the enemy tries to come in my field, it's not his field. He's trying to make you feel privileged that you get part of the field. You need to drive him out. You need to drive him out and replant some seed in your field. And let's bring a brand new harvest. Quit trying to live off of last year's harvest because you haven't planted any new seed. Somebody give him praise right now. Let's do it together. Let's do it together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's go to the other pictures if we can. Let's go to the other slides, the other pictures. Okay, so which one's wheat and which one's tear? Look at the picture. Look at the one, look at the one to, the, to the left. Look at the picture, the middle, the middle stalk. Is that wheat or tear? You're right, it's a baby tear. Yet a baby wheat stalk looks almost identical. The only way to tell the difference, the only way to tell the difference is when they both mature in springtime. Look at the picture below. That's springtime. A little bit more different there. In fact, there's a marked difference. The tear on the left is light and it lacks substance. But the wheat on the right is heavy and it bears fruit or bears grain. It's said that there are tiny black seeds inside of the tares, and if you eat them, it'll cause dizziness and nausea. 
Also notice the weight of substance in the wheat that causes the head of it to bow in humility. The lack of substance causes the tear to stand straight up with pride. This is the difference between the wheat and the tear. One will make you nauseous and sick, and the other will make you healthy and strong. One will bring life to you, and the other will kill you. You know what I'm talking about. You get around certain people and they talk about certain things and they talk about what they like and they, they talk about these things and you walk away and you feel sick at your stomach. It's like, man, I don't know what was wrong with that conversation. You know, they, they, they kind of were on the edge and so they were a little bit, a little bit edgy and I, I just don't know. And you kind of feel sick at your stomach around them. Could be a tear. Could be that you consume some black seed. Could be that you consume something and it's all of a sudden making you spiritually dizzy. Could be that you get around some real senior leader tears. And all of a sudden with their words, all of a sudden you start swallowing what they're trying to feed you. And you get doctrinally dizzy and you say, really? Are the standards really necessary? I mean, if that pastor can lead a whole church in another direction, does that really mean the standards really? Listen, the more you stand up for truth and you're holy, then you you have holiness standards and there are tears among us it's going to make you feel isolated you're going to start getting dizzy and say are we just that old-fashioned you got to make up your mind to get into the bible you got to get the word of god in your spirit so you have a spirit of discernment don't you dare let the tears choke you down you got to make a and you know you when you gut check them when you try to check them with the word of God, you know what they do? With pride, they stand up and say, this is the new Pentecost. That's not wheat, ladies and gentlemen, that's tear. How did that happen? When the church went to sleep doctrinally, the enemy came in and put seeds in their mind and they bought into deception and now they're leading whole churches wrong. You better get a root system. You better get a root system. Get that taproot and drive it deep. Drive it deep and hold on when the winds of error and the winds of false doctrine are blowing. Don't you dare, don't you dare. If you're saying, I'm, and I gotta give an account for your soul, don't you dare be going to preachers on the web and listening to false doctrine. And then all of a sudden, giving false doctrine in the church. Skipping church on Wednesday and skipping church on Sunday. Saying, well, I'll just watch some, 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 some social media preachers, TV preachers. And all of a sudden, you got what's called mashup and remix theology. You got a little bit over here, you got a little bit over here, you got a little bit over here, and you got a little bit over here, and you just kind of slap it together and say, I believe this now. And all of a sudden, a year later, you come to me, Pastor, I don't know if I really believe all this anymore. You know what happened to you? You let tares preach to you. You let tares talk to you. And all of a sudden it talked you out. You fell asleep spiritually. It's not about being ritualistic about you getting here and legalistic about you getting here on Wednesday and Sunday. It's about making sure you got a deep root system. It's about hearing messages like this on a Wednesday night that puts a root system inside of your spirit so that you don't even have an appetite to eat from the tear. When you're intoxicated, you're starving and dehydrated, you'll eat anything. You'll consume anything because you're starving, you're dehydrated. You need some worms in your life. 
You need God to send some worms in your life and eat some things out so you've got a tunnel so that the Holy Ghost can flow through you again. It's about the seed and the soil. Can we give God praise in this house? My heart was broken. My heart broken with what my wife sent me yesterday about a preacher who used to be oneness. And this is, this is on a blog. It's whatever it is, so it's public knowledge. I'm not saying anything, no breaking, no breach of confidentiality. It's, it's public out there. Dude used to do action hour. I called his name. Some of you were campers in Lufkin. Used to do action hour. Day services. Night preacher. Pentecost. UPC got too small for him. Went big time. And he did. Got a mega church going. You can go on right now and listen to his daughter. Something happened. Some seed somewhere got a hold of him. And he got disgruntled in his marriage. And he decided he wanted to start going to get some massages. I'm telling you what the daughter said. Started going to get massages. All of a sudden, the massage therapist became his mistress. He started committing adultery with her. Divorced his wife. Walked away. Left his family. Married the woman who has, I guess, a 16-year-old. So, so the wife and the children were getting the bad rap because he's the big-name preacher. And everybody's going to believe the big-name preacher over the woman that just is obscurity. And the daughter comes on, and she says in the video, in the blog, says in the video, because she's feeling like nobody's hearing their side of the story. And she said, when my mama called me, I'm talking about seed and soil. I'm talking about that Bradford pear tree that should have gotten cut out of the backyard so the oak could grow. This little girl, this teenage girl, she said, when my mama called me and said, honey, you're going to find out that your dad married that woman. She said, when my mother told me that, it hit me so deep and so hard and it sucker punched me so bad, I did not even know what to think and I did not know what to say. Here's the problem. They're parishioner tears, saint tears, but they're also pastoral tears. And they get bundled. I've got a question. Is there already a bundling going on in our world? Is the spirit of Antichrist and the Holy Spirit already bundling up wheat and tear? Waiting for the angels, which are the reapers, to come. And all of a sudden, you got bundles over here and bundles over here. So you got a pastoral tear and you got a congregational tears over here and a whole bundle of them. Where instead of rebuking something like that, you find a preacher that will stand up and marry him with the mistress. This is stuff that I did ministry with this guy on the campgrounds in Lufkin. 
and gentlemen, we are living in an hour where men are falling asleep and the enemy has done this. Wake up, Calvary. It could happen in your home. It could happen in your family. It could happen in your life. Get up. Get up. Get up. Get here for prayer. Fast next week. Be here Friday night for prayer. Miss a prayer meeting here. Miss a prayer meeting there. Go hang out with some tears. And all of a sudden, the enemy has done this. Mind-boggling. It's the tares. We must be aware of Satan's counterfeits. He has counterfeit Christians, according to 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-six, who believe a counterfeit gospel, according to Galatians one six through nine. He encourages counterfeit righteousness, according to Romans ten one through three, and he even has a counterfeit church, Revelation two nine. At the end of the age, he will produce a counterfeit Christ. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12, that we know as the Antichrist, and all will be bundled to be burned. That's what the Bible says. Is God allowing a bundling right now? Are tares gathering with other tares and calling themselves weak? Are pastoral tares endorsing sin, bringing the world inside the church, false doctrine, and are parishioner tares sitting on the pews swallowing the poison because they have soil to receive the seeds of error? That preacher should never do that. Well, the saint should never swallow the poison. working with me then Jesus sent the multitude away verse 36 and he went into their house and his disciples came to him saying explain to us the parable of the tares of the field and he answered and he said unto them so this is what you need to know is coming in the future this is what you need to know what's going on in the world right now in churches right now in the field right now and where it's going to lead to in the future this is going to happen you and I need to ask ourselves, am I really growing as true wheat in the church? Or am I living a lie and I'm a, am I a tear sitting in the church right now? Listen. He answered and he said unto them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, <coughs> as the tares are gathered <coughs> and burned in the fire, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels. And they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend. That's a little catch word right there. I'm not offended. People, I'm not, you didn't, I'm not offended by that. Or, I'm offended. Man, how many times have we heard that? I'm offended. I'm offended. I'm going to tell you something. 
we have thick skin, or thin skin, we better not be so easily offended. Because when we get so easily offended, we're all, woe to the man by whom offenses come. Offenses come in the world, Jesus said. They're coming. It doesn't matter who you are in church, out of church, $5 in your wallet, $500 in your wallet. It doesn't matter. Driving a Pinto or a Porsche. It really doesn't matter. You're going to be offended sometime or another. You and I have got to have enough soil inside of us and enough of this word that says, okay, I'm going to put so much of this word in me, it's going to go in. Whatever hurt me and offended me, I'm going to root it out. I'm going to get it out. I'm going to come to church so much. I'm going to worship so much. I'm going to, if I have to run the aisles just to run the aisles and tell the devil you're a liar, I will not get offended over that. I'm not going to lose my joy. I'm not going to lose my victory. I'm not backsliding over that. I'm not quitting over that. You're not going to offend me out of the church. You're not going to hurt me out of the church. You're not going to wound me out of the church. I'm not going to hell. I'm not becoming a tear. God put a seed inside of me, and I believe that seed is powerful enough to root out anything you would throw at me. I'm going to heaven. But notice, the Lord is going to be the one saying, you offended me. We need to get our minds off of being so offended and say, Lord, are we doing something that's offending you right now? Because in the end, when he sends his angels for the harvest, and the angels are going to come and say, okay, well, here all the tares are all bundled up. He's going to take them to be burned in the fire. He's going to say, these are the ones that offended me. These are the ones that offended me. Our little offenses, they're going to go by the wayside. Then the Son of Man, verse 41, will send out his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear this word tonight. In Galatians chapter 6 that I read to you, and I'm going to close. bypass a significant amount but I do want to emphasize here what we see in Galatians chapter 6 is a promise and a peril he made a promise there's a promise there in the law of harvest it said you will reap if you faint not You've got to make up your mind, I am not going to faint. So then we ask the question, why do we faint? Sometimes spiritual fainting is caused by doing the work while losing our worship. It's interesting to contrast two churches that are commended for work, labor, and patience. 1 Thessalonians 1.3 and Revelation 2.2. The church at Ephesus lost its first love and they were backslidden even though they were doing the work, the labor, and they were patient. Why is there a contrast and why did one backslide while the other was fervent? 
they both did work, labor, and they both had patience. They lost their first love, and you can look at the church in Thessalonica to find the answer. First, let me read Revelation 2, 2 through 4, so that you can contrast that with 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. I know thy works, thy labor, and thy patience. They're doing good work here. And how thou canst not bear them that are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and they're not. And you have found them to be liars. And hast borne and hast patience for my name's sake, and hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because you left your first love. Look at 1 Thessalonians 1.3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God our Father. What is the difference between the church at Ephesus and the church in Thessalonica? Both had work, labor, and patience. Ephesus lost faith in the work, love in the labor, and hope in the patience. You and I need to make up our mind that if we're working, we better have faith in this work or you're going to burn out. It's not just work of ministry. It's the faith in the work of the ministry. I don't do this because it's the minutia of it all. I don't do this because it's the detail of it all. I do this because I have a faith in my spirit that if I do A, it's going to be Z. It's going to be much bigger than the work I'm doing right now. If you don't have faith, you're going to lose your first love and you will burn out in the ministry. You will burn out in life. Some of you that work extremely hard, I know you're, I watch you come into church. You're weary. It says it on your face. Sometimes the tone of voice. And I'm going, oh my God, what are they going through in their life? And I'm saying, God, let them have faith in their work. Can I just encourage somebody right now? Be not weary in well-doing. For in due season, you are going to reap. There is a promise to what you're doing. Faith in the work. This church in Thessalonica. Labor of love. Not just labor, but I love what I'm doing and I love the people that I'm doing it with. That'll keep you from burnout. And hope in patience. Not just patient waiting. But you're waiting with a hope and an expectancy. Something good is coming out of this dry land. God is going to let a new blade come up. He wove that into the fabric of creation. But there's a peril. He said, you sow to the Spirit. In the spirit, you're going to reap life everlasting. There's a promise. Be not weary in well-doing. In due season, you're going, to, you're going to reap if you faint not. That's what he says. He says, this is a promise. He said, but if you take seed and you sow it to your flesh, there's a peril that comes with that. And that peril is that you're going to reap corruption. And the corruption leads to not just a daily... this. This momentary corruption, but it leads to eternal destruction. There's a peril 
You don't just deal with corruption now. You deal with eternal damnation later if you keep sowing to your flesh. There's a peril when sowing wrong seed into the wrong soil. The term corruption is the idea of the breakdown of organic matter like food that perishes or dead. Listen, listen. It gives the word picture of dead bodies overrun by worms and maggots. The the word implies a present corruption that leads to eternal damnation or destruction. Okay, so we're dealing with seeds. We're We're dealing with sheep. What happens? There's something called fly maggot. And I'm going to show you an image that may make you nauseous. But this is what happens. This is the term corruption. It was literally the flesh being eaten off of the sheep and was overrun to the right hand with maggots. This farmers dealt with this. In fact, this particular flock, the one leading that flock, couldn't keep sheep any longer because he neglected them. And because of his neglect, slowly, slowly, the maggots got in the sheep and the sheep started dying in the field because the shepherd did not know how to keep the worms and the maggots out of the church, off the sheep. If I were preaching somewhere else, if I were preaching a men's conference, if I were preaching another event, I would tell those people, Don't you ever, ever complain about your pastor when he's preaching the maggots off of you. You better thank God for a shepherd. You better thank God for a preacher. You better thank God for a pastor that'll walk into your life in the middle of the flock and take this book Say, my Lord, Mark, there's a maggot on you. Get it off. Walk into your life and say, that is a sin. Get the worms and the maggots out of your home. You need a preacher in your life that will preach the word and the spirit so that we reap life everlasting. I'm in debt. Mom and dad, when your young person's fussing because they don't want to come to church, maggots crawling on them right there. When they start complaining about the holiness standards and being separate from the world, they just want to cut their hair. How long have you been thinking that way? Crawling all over you. 
ever talk to your teenager? You ever talk to a teenager and you start talking to them and they're talking out of their head? And they don't even want to hear what you're saying anymore? You know what that means? They got all kinds of maggots running through that thought process. And you're going, my God, I don't know how to pull them all off. And all of a sudden, it's that one that, man, they used to just skip through the field. Couldn't wait to go to prayer meeting and worship. All of a sudden, you look at them in the church. They found the seat as far from the altar as they could find it. They sit. Can I preach to mom and dad or maybe mom or maybe just dad or grandparents? When your kids have that kind of spirit and that kind of attitude and they go back to sit with you so they don't have to sit up here and worship and come to the altar, you're letting maggots crawl all over them. You tell them, get up on that front row and you pray through your dry season. Get on that front row and get into the altar and you pray through your dry season. You're not going to use me to let the maggots crawl all over you and cause me to have a fight with the preacher. Come on, you know what you're doing, teenager, when you go sit with your mom or your dad and all of a sudden you're saying, yeah, go ahead, preacher. Preach at me. Deal with my mom. Deal with my dad. You need a preacher that will deal with mom and dad to pull the maggots out of the family. Thank you so much for listening.